Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Really excited for today's show with Nell Rojas. So this is an episode that just appeared on the Road to the Trials podcast, which just announced, not just announced, but was uh, just launched season three this week. Um, it's going very well, that's for sure. So I, I uh, released this episode on the Road to the Trials podcast stream yesterday, and uh, I guess a lot of people are liking it. The uh, Actually, the podcast itself is now up to number eight on the uh, running podcast charts, which I am so happy about. I would want everybody who's listening to this to go over there and subscribe today, because as you'll hear in a second, these episodes are absolutely fantastic. Nell is just such a captivating figure within our sport. She's simply amazing, um, but also incredibly honest and frank. And she talks at the end of the episode about how she almost had to pull out of Boston 2023 because of some crazy situations that were happening with her health over the past couple months. So you're definitely going to want to hear that. I love the Road to the Trials series. We follow eight amazing athletes as they prepare for the Olympic trials and the marathon. We're following them for an entire year. And I just look, I just love looking behind the curtain at what these people are going through physically, mentally, emotionally, as they go after some big, big goals. All right, Nell Rojas, thank you for joining us for season three on Road to the Trials. This is going to be absolutely fantastic. Now we're starting this again. We got a full year. Follow along with what you what you got going on and all of your prep and your racing and your training and everything that goes into that. With that said, do you have like firm recollections of what it was like, kind of the year leading into Atlanta 2020? Um, I. I don't have a great memory, <laughs> but um, yeah, I definitely remember. I definitely remember heading into them and being very new at marathons and um, kind of what it felt like and and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting, like to think back on it now as someone who's had so much marathoning success over the past few years. To think back, like, all right, like you were newer to marathons because some people might forget at this point or if they're kind of new to you or new to your journey say it's like a newer runner who's kind of getting into the into the scene you know that they see someone like you who's someone who's in their mid-30s like oh she must have been doing this forever like at least a decade of marathoning considering like you're also your family lineage whereas like for you getting into marathons happened a little bit later than maybe someone may just presume especially considering um your success so it's kind of nice to follow along as we progress into or, you know, heading into uh, Orlando in 2024, um, I guess we'll just touch on this. So it was some people on that we're doing intro episodes with some of the, some of those folks are less known than other runners. Right. So I think you're probably one of the more well-known runners, if not the most well-known runner who's on Road to the Trials Season 3. So I don't think we need to go chapter and verse in terms of your athletic history and things like that. There are a bevy of episodes out there for people to, to take a look at. In fact, my good friend Allie Feller, I think you've been on her, her podcast like six different times. And that's like the most <laughs> the highest rated running podcast in the country. So I advise everyone to go look, listen to those uh, to get a really great scope in terms of Nell's running career. I guess let's just talk, take it back to like last year around this time. I know you were preparing for the Boston Marathon. At that point, you had just run the Boston in October, and we're heading into Boston 2022. 
But as you detailed on a couple of different podcasts, your training wasn't, it didn't seem like it was ideal. Like you kind of, you mentioned you had like a five week taper, like your legs were like mm. really beaten up. Can you walk us back to exactly uh, what was happening at that time and kind of what led to uh, that experience in training? And I say that, as, you know, as we're, we'll talk later in this episode and certainly in the next episode about Boston 2023 that you'll be running again this year. But um, yeah, just take us back to, to that time in your training. Yeah. Um so I think what happened, so Boston, I think was my first kind of marathon after the trials, um, uh, because of COVID and because of, um, I think I was injured in, after the trials a little bit. So, um, I think what happened during that build is, you know, CIM was my first marathon. I was just doing it for fun. So, you know, I was running like 65-ish miles a week. I'd miss workouts. Um, I was doing like tons of strength training, tons of cross training. I was just like having a good time, getting in shape, um, you know, just doing, I was basically doing these workouts for fun and on the side. Um, and then after CIM, I got a little more serious grandmas. Um, I got, you know, I was running a little bit more miles, maybe like focused a little bit more, probably didn't miss any workout at that point. Um, and then, um, I think after the trials, what happened was I, I was like, okay, I, I, I want to be a serious marathon runner. And, you know, I was ninth at the trials. Maybe I have a shot at being, you know, sponsored or like having a future in this. So I think what happened was I I changed too much stuff and I skewed a little bit too far the other direction because I was so far, I was so far in one direction um, as far as like cross training, as far as strength training, as far as... um uh, a lot of speed work and that obviously was working for me and I felt really good and I was, I was healthy. And then I was like, I want to be a runner. I want to be your typical successful distance runner that you see, um, over and over again. So I think what happened was I, you know, ran way more miles than I was used to maybe than I was ready for. Um, I ran like bigger, longer workouts um, instead of like what I was used to. I was, I stopped strength training. I stopped cross training. Um, and perhaps, and, and I wasn't upping my recovery either. Like I remember specifically like not fueling enough after my workouts. Um, like I would do these huge long workouts and then I just wouldn't eat enough. And I think at first, like that was working very well. And then it, I think everything that I did kind of was working well, working well, working well until it was not working well until it came back and kind of bit me in the, in the butt. Um, so that's kind of what I contribute that, that Boston, that Boston build to actually that was my second. Yeah. They, yeah. That Boston build too. Yeah, and it's interesting because you're someone who coaches a lot of athletes, right? Your dad is a well-known coach, and it's not as if like you were new to the game. You had been a professional triathlete before that, so you were well-experienced 
in high level training. With that mm-hmm. said, what do you think led to, you know, the changes that you made that you, you look back on now and say like, oh, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. Um, where, is it just like, was it just a lack of knowledge or was there other things that kind of contributed to you making decisions that you look back on now and say, oh, I would have done this a little differently? Um, I don't think, I think it's easy to make the mistakes that I made. Uh, and I think a lot of people do make these mistakes and hopefully um, we, we, we all learn from them. And I think it takes, you know, a couple tries to learn from them. Um, and you can see that in a lot of the professional runners, you can see that in all these runners who um, have eating disorders and um, maybe overtrain. And I think what happens is, you know, you see it, you see people succeed with these very extreme overtraining, under eating um, um, kind of methods. Um, and you're like, oh, they succeeded. Like, I'm, I'm going to do that too. It's not like I didn't know better. It's that you see it, you see it, you see it. So um, like physiologically, I'm like, yeah, I know I need to you know, recarb after my workouts. I know I need to get a lot of protein after my workouts, but it's totally different to read something and know the research on it than to actually be in it and um, feeling it and and bring your emotions into it and your insecurities and your fears and your uh, motivation and desire for success. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for being so open and honest about that. I, I know everyone would really appreciate it because you said a lot of people have gone through it. This isn't simply just germane to you or just to elite athletes either. There's a lot of people mm-hmm. who go through this same sort of thing. I think some people who might know you would be surprised like, wow, she's even stopped like lifting and doing all that. Like you're that you're known for that. You think you you, you make mm-hmm. a um, you make it known to your athletes and your potential athletes like this is something that, that we care about here and, and you know, that you've um you know, done a great job of sharing just with, with mm-hmm. the uh, running public. Um, so it's so interesting that even that kind of fell by the wayside during that time. But here you are, you've had so much success recently, like even just in 2022, right? So you top 10 at, at Boston and in New York, which is an un, which is just an incredible feat. Um, when you think about just the journey to the trials, like how, did, when does that part really kind of click into you in terms of like prepping for the trials like obviously we're going to be following your journey for a full calendar year but when does that actually does that prep actually begin in terms of um that's when you're going to really start focusing on that event specifically Mm -hmm. um so that would be basically i'm going to run boston in april and then after that um it depends like depends how I feel um, in Boston, in my build right now for Boston. Um, it depends like how the races lead up to that go. It depends how my recovery goes. But basically right after Boston, we're like, okay, what is going to set me, what is going to best set me up for the trials? Um, does that mean skipping a fall marathon? Does that mean working on my half marathon speed? Um, or does that mean like, I, I do need another marathon, um, for one reason or another. Um, and so I would say like right after Boston, like I'm practicing recovering as fast as I can. 
um, because I've actually never practiced that before after a marathon. It's always been like, go travel, you know, really like enjoy. Um, but if I decide to do a fall marathon, I want Boston. I, I need to recover as fast as possible. I need to turn over as fast as I can. So I need to practice that in April. So um, I would say, you know, even even this build, a lot of things have been going on the last couple of months with my with my with me physiologically or with me with my training. Um, so even like right now, it's like, you know, yes, I'm training for Boston, but if I see anything or feel anything that's going to impair my trials, um, things will have to change or I'll have to pivot or um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Is that the kind of long-term approach that you've taken in the past? Or have you kind of always been a little bit more like, all right, the next race is the next race and I'll figure out what happens after that, like at a later date. Like that's, that's future Nell's problem. I'm just going to focus on like the right now. Mm. Um, no, I'd say definitely um, my dad has, you know, when, when we first, when I first started training for CIM, my first marathon, it wasn't like, Hey, now let's crush CIM. It was like, Hey, now, um, if you if this is something that you like and if this is something that you want to continue we have you know 10 15 years down the road so here's how cim is going to go cim is going to go you're going to jog it you're going to see how you feel you're going to see if you like it you're going to see how it goes but there's there's no racing at cim because we're thinking in <clears throat> you know for 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 your future and so that's how my my dad's approach has always been that I have really come to appreciate. It's hard at times when you're like, I want to crush, you know, this marathon or like, I really want to go for it. But that's that's not the goal. The goal is the Olympic trials. The goal is, you know, these bigger world racers are um, so um, we've always had, you know, the the four year cycle in our minds when we set up everything. And is that just is that centered around like how you're approaching? Obviously, you mentioned before, like answering my own question before I ask another question. You mentioned mm -hmm. before that CIM, like the approach was like, hey, this isn't a race. This is an experience kind of feel. Mm -hmm. The races after that, so the marathons after that, was it always like, all right, on race day we race, but in training we might alter things to be more long term? Or there have there been races where you went, hey, no, like this is there's there's a plan A and plan B that are kind of moving together concurrently during this thing. Well, I'd say it's all the same. So like, for example, after CAM, we're like, okay, we've got grandmas. Guess what? We're still not like going for the Hail Mary. We're going to get a little bit faster. We're going to tweak our workouts. So maybe they're a little bit longer, maybe like they're a couple seconds faster, but we're not going to like, we're not going to like be like, okay, you just ran 231. Let's shoot for 225. No, no, let's go. Let's, I don't care if you could run a 225 at grandma's. We're going to run, we're going to train to run a 228 because then guess what? After your 228, you're going to get faster instead of going, running a 224, 225, and then not never being able to hit that PR again and mentally and physically plateauing. So it's like, it's this, it's this like, okay, no, let's make baby steps. Let's make baby steps. Let's not, let's not go full Hail Mary because we want to continue to succeed. That makes all the sense in the world. And I can see you guys mm -hmm. mapping this out and like having this long-term mm -hmm. plan and, and like completely dialing that in like academically and like philosophically. When you're in the throes of it as a, as a competitive professional athlete, are there times where you're like, screw the plan. I want to like, I just want to go. Mm -hmm. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm like, I was like holding back at grandma's at all. It means I just didn't train for any faster mm -hmm. when I probably could have, um, or I didn't train more. Um, I just didn't jump my training too much. And yeah, of course, like there's many days, especially grandma's trials, <clears throat> especially those two races actually where I, I really wanted more and I really wanted, you know, those classic marathon workouts, like these big, huge workouts that I knew other girls were doing, but my, my dad wouldn't, wouldn't give those to me. And he, you know, always was stressed being patient and, um, you know, focusing on continuing to focus on speed and, um, being healthy as the number one thing and being consistent. So beginning of 2022, we, we talked about how like you you were open and honest with Allie about how like all right like I wasn't feeling great I had like a, like a, a five-week taper to kind of progress into Boston and I didn't quite know um what that race had in store for me because even though know, compared to other races that you had prepared for which is really interesting and then obviously the race turned out very well you end up getting um you know top 10 in that race and you PR'd in that race so it was obviously a, a huge experience um mm -hmm. how would you overall categorize how 2022 went for you, not just from a racing perspective, but from a training perspective as well? Um, a lot of lessons, <laughs> which is good. Like, I think it's all, all of these races that you do are all about learning, tweaking, and then growing from it and getting data points and knowing what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Um, so I'd say, Boston was a huge lesson. Um, and it, you know, luckily I learned my lesson and I didn't pay too hard for it. Um, you know, I, I ended up doing very well. Um, and then New York, um, solid, very solid. It was kind of this transition, you know, this is a transition for me into being a full-time hustler <laughs> in my career life to really, really, and adding full-time running to really, really trying to be a professional athlete, which to me has a whole different meaning now than it did at the beginning of 2022. Um, so, you know, when you up your training, you have to up your recovery. And so, you know, the past couple of races, that's, th those have been my takeaways, like New York. Um, I did very well off of, you know, I trained very hard and I didn't recover very hard. And so once again, I found myself in a hole that I had to work really, really hard to come out of right before the race. and. I don't think I nailed it. And I think um, I learned a little bit. I got a little better than the last race, but um, I have a lot of more recovery to focus on now. Yeah, let's talk about the, the other side of your professional life. You know, you've talked about it before, and you and I have talked about it before um, offline, is your coaching mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. And I happen to know several of your athletes who, like, they can't stop talking about you as a coach. It's hysteric. It's, it's endearing and it's hysterical at the same time. Like, they just love mm – -hmm. they don't even talk about you as, like, you're – it's almost like you're not a professional runner. They just – the only they talk about is you as a coach, mm -hmm. and, and it's really cool. Um, and you obviously care so much about your athletes. You spend a lot of time on it. 
With that said, again, this is a, that's a full-time job, the way you approach it and the care that you provide or you care that you give your athletes. So talk to me about how you balance the two and how you have tried to like become the best runner in the world while at the same time, you know, really elevating your own business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't think I've done it that well. <laughs> I, I think it's a hard thing to do well. I think it's it's nearly impossible to do well at because because someone that is a professional uh, endurance athlete is wants to do very very well, right? Like no doubt about it. Like we're all even a runner, like any runner is like kind of you know, a lot of, most of them are overachievers or like really want to push themselves or, so I think I take that, um, to both, you know, I want to be a really, really good coach and I want to be the best athlete I can be. I want to make an Olympic team, but you cannot, but I also, you know, you cannot do both. You cannot be the best at both. Um, and so what I have tried and so I have this guilt feeling about my my athletes because I can't give them the attention that I would love to, and I can't be the best coach I can be. I just I just can't. But then on the other hand, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, uh, this is my one opportunity in my life because this is going to end very soon. You know, it's going to end within the next you know five, six, seven years. What am I doing? Why am I not giving this every single thing I have? to give myself a shot. Um, so it's, it's very hard and I have a mental battle in my head all the time, but you know, and I've had talks about this where it's like, okay, well, you know what? My athletes are awesome. I love them. I do talk to them a lot. I do give them attention. I do my best to create their programs individually, um, every week. But I also think like, they're so amazing that they understand I'm a professional athlete and they are also supporting me as a professional athlete and giving me a little leeway because I'm like, Hey, look, I'm traveling for a race. I have, uh, I've, I have, I, I'm clearly running Boston. So like those two weeks, like, you know, I might not be quite there as much as I would like to be. Um, so I'm very lucky. Whereas the athletes that work, it works for them and it works for me. They stick around and the ones that it doesn't like, they want something else. They want, they want completely different coaching style. Then they leave and it's fine. Um, and then you just realize like, you know, for me, I'm like, yeah, I could not give them what they wanted and it's okay. Um, I'm going to just do the best I can for the athletes that I have. Gosh, yeah, it can be so tough when you're balancing those things, especially if like you want to make everybody happy and 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 mm -hmm. you know at the same time part of that is like making yourself happy and like you said like trying to take advantage of the opportunities that you have, which are huge opportunities. And I think that you know you're mm -hmm. obviously you're fully aware of that, and, and it really is uh, you know so exciting to to witness someone who's pushing so hard to achieve their goals while also helping other people trying to achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. So I guess I get you to come here for like me to like prop you up or anything but i will say that the athletes that i know that work with you they love you as a coach so whatever you're doing is uh, obviously working that, pretty well yeah yeah that means a lot too and yeah i think i connect well with with a lot of my athletes and um i really appreciate them and 
I'm honored that they want to work with me and that um, I'm like, so I'm, I feel so lucky to be able to, to coach them. So let's talk about post New York. So you get you know, 10th place in New York, which is a, you know, obviously a, a huge, a huge deal. At the same time, you just walked us through that, like getting into the race wasn't necessarily ideal and coming out of the race. How did you go about recovering from that and then leading into the next training cycle? And we can talk about, you know, you took a trip to, I think, E10 um, recently as well. So just just walk me through post New York in terms of what the recovery was like and kind of getting back into it and whatever you learned um, from previous marathons that hopefully you were able to execute during um, this this gap between marathons. All right, everybody, let's talk about you can. Are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? I know I was, for sure. And it's also something that you see so many pro runners are also sick of it because they're the amount of amount of elite pro runners who are using UCAN is just amazing. I know they just signed Kira D'Amato. They have Emily Sisson and so many others. Emma Bates as well. It's because UCAN utilizes steady release carbs instead of sugar so you don't feel the highs and lows in your energy. That is so important uh, for me. I love to use it, especially on my longer sessions. I like to take two scoops of the energy powder, put it in about 12 to 14, 14 ounces of water. And I also like to use UCAN Hydrate within that. So that's an electrolyte mix. So you get kind of all that good stuff. It actually mixes really well. And the taste, when you mix especially like the watermelon hydrate with the lemon Yucan uh, powder, oh my God, it's the best. It really is good. That is for sure. And I love to use it for all of my longer runs. And it's just, it really works well for me. And it's just something that not only do I get that that high level of, um, of energy from it, but this is the best part. It doesn't affect my GI system, not on the run and not after the run either. That's the best part. Also, you can awards you can's award-winning Edge Energy Gel lasts longer than all the other gels. It's like a liquid gel, and it tastes really good. Not only does it last longer, it also has no aftertaste. So you get the best of both worlds. I love these things. I use them on the run, and they go go down so fast. They taste really good, and you get that liquid. It's the liquid gel. It just kind of flies right down. It doesn't just stick in your mouth like other gels. And it's so easy to see why is an award-winning gel. Because shoot. I love it. That is for sure. So here's the offer. Okay, you can go over to youcan.co forward slash rambling to get get this six free edge gels. All you have to do is pay for shipping. You go to youcan.co forward slash rambling to get six free edge energy gels. All you have to do is pay for shipping. Also, if you use code rambling on the site, you save 20% on your whole order. Make sure you get the, the bars. The chocolate bars, I made a huge mistake. I let my daughter have one. And now she wants to eat all my chocolate bars. So I got, now I have to hide them. Mm. So, yeah, New York was funny because, you know, 10th is great. It, I, I was happy to, you know, it's, it's always good when you can show up at a race, run solidly, even though you're like, yeah, that wasn't great. Or, you know, and still have a still have a solid outcome. You know, I like being consistent. I like showing up. I like showing myself that like, okay, if I, if I show up somewhere and I have a solid race, it doesn't even have to be great. Um, I can do fairly well. Um, of course, 10th is not like what I was aiming for. You know, my mom was like, wow, was everyone so happy for you? Did, did your agent say something? Did, did, uh, you know, Nike say something? Was everyone, you know, I'm like, mom, no one cares about 10th. Like, 
like yeah it's okay but like no one's like wow good job you know it was kind of like all right uh that was anticlimactic i was 10th um didn't do bad didn't do good okay let's uh let's you know see let's sit down reflect on this learn what happened but like it was so anticlimactic and um so so that was like kind of the day like that race and then after you know i had trained really hard for a long time and i i went to peru just for fun and hiked machu picchu um i i have a really extensive background in traveling and um adventuring and i love seeing the world i love eating i love traveling so i really i really needed to feed that part of me um so i went to peru with a friend uh we had a great time and it was like I usually take two weeks of running off after a race. So it was in that window anyways. So I was like, yeah, I don't, that's fine. Came back, um, started training a little bit, went to my boyfriend's um, parents' house for Christmas, which I shouldn't have gone for such a long time because they live in kind of the outskirts of Georgia and there's just like the running just like isn't there. So that wasn't great. Came back, decided, I decided to go to, uh, Iten, Kenya. Um, there was a couple of reasons I went. Um, I was doing a pro uh, like a a project with uh, my friend Mike Thurk, who does a bunch of my photography, and is I I think of him as like a storyteller. So we had this idea of going over there, and we had a couple of questions we wanted to ask, and I'm actually really excited to share that. And then I wanted to see if it was somewhere I could go train for like future, like the trials even, or um, it, yeah, just like check it out. And of course, like I wanted to just see it for, you know, like why answer the question for myself, like why do Kenyans dominate the, you know, running world? Um, so I went over there, um, basically got laid out for three weeks from Parasite. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Worst case scenario. Oh, no. Yeah, and I think I did it to myself because, like, I was so scared of going over there, getting sick, having to go on my antibiotics, and, like, it messing up my training cycle. And so, like, I had this in my head. I, I like, I was, like, so scared. I just thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. So I definitely brought it upon myself. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, and that kind of leads me to where we are now. So it's been an awful training-wise. I'm, and I'm, uh, I am finding a silver lining. I do have a silver lining. Training-wise, it's been – and I uh, then I was just at Nike headquarters uh, this past week, which was freaking amazing. Like, cannot say enough good things about Nike, the people that work there, um, their shoe development team – their performance team and the people that handle the elite athletes. Like it's very, very happy with them. But then I got stranded in Seattle for like three days and I was just been running on the treadmill. So anyway, good thing you like to travel because this would have been a pretty bad couple months if you didn't. <laughs> yeah. This is my saga. Now I'm embarrassed <laughs> that I'm like telling everyone I'm just like whining to everyone, but all of it's my fault. Everything that I just said is like, I, my decisions, my fault, I didn't pick the right decisions for my future in running. And that's what, that's the silver lining. Like 
I, I need to act like a professional athlete and I need to say no to things that maybe I want to do, or maybe that I feel to make other people happy. I feel like I should do. Um, or maybe like my, anyways, moral of the story is if anyone wants to do anything for the next year, uh, no, sorry. <laughs> I, no, like, sorry, just go We're going to turn this podcast into a public service announcement. This is great. Exactly. This is like the opposite of a save the date that we're, we're releasing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because like, and like, it's funny how you framed that. So I'm sitting here like going to E10 Kenya is like the most professional running thing I've ever heard in my life. But it's like, oh, but, that's funny. But, yeah. but it turns out like it was like the thing that like maybe screwed you more than anything else. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I think I was a special case. Like I did go there with a group of people and I'm the only one that really got sick, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, like I would also like if someone was like, hey, now should I go train for this big race I have before um, in E10? I'd say no. I'd say no, don't take the risk. You know, it's a really amazing place. I have, I, I have so much to say about it. I have so many different feelings towards it and things I learned and blah, blah, blah. But I would say um, probably don't go before your race. <laughs> right. That's fair. Fair enough. Good thing you didn't go like on like March 15th, right? Or something like yeah. that. Like at least it was oh, yeah. a little bit of a gap. So here you are. You're back. We're, in our next episode you know, in the six weeks, four to six weeks or so, we'll talk more about like how your Boston Marathon training is going, comparing it to the previous years. Because at this point, you can make apples to apples comparisons. Not well, you've done this will be your third Boston. The, the first one was in October, so it's not it's not quite apples to apples. But when you talk about you know comparing mm -hmm. it to the previous year. How's your training looking right now? Awful, <laughs> like a disaster. So um, what, what what does that mean exactly? Put it putting it into into words for us. Maybe compared it to what it would normally be, look like. Um. So last week was the first week I started. I started running since I was sick, um, and I was really really depleted because um, I hadn't taken anything in my body for like I don't know twenty days. Um, so I was really depleted. I was really sore. I was really fatigued. I was really tired. I was really um, sick. I was still sick. My stomach still hurt. Oh. Um, and I, so I got my mileage in. I ran about a hundred miles last week. So that was, that was the week of 12 weeks before Boston. Okay. Started running. I did run a hundred miles. Was very happy that I got that in. Um, I had one, I had two workouts in there. Um, I'll give you an example of what are the workouts, okay? It's supposed to be a 10, this is very honest of me. It's supposed to be a 10K tempo, right? Could not do the 10K tempo. Even during my warm up, I could barely run. And I was like, yeah, dad, sorry. Like I have to turn this into like six by a mile. Like there's no way I can go out there and do a tempo. He was like, okay, fine. That's great. Let's do, do what you can, you know? And I was like, okay. So 10 by a mile started first mile, six ten. I mean that I don't like just to let everyone know I've never run a six ten mile repeat in my life. Like normally if I'm training for, it would be like my first mile would be like five twenty, and that's like light. Like I'm getting going, I'm transitioning so start at six that's 10, like so that's like basically like 30 seconds slower than your marathon pace 
so yeah, it was six ten, six minutes. That was a tough one. Five fifty-five. <laughs> slowly, slowly getting a little stronger here. Five forty, and then two five thirties. So I didn't even like like that was my workout. Last, that was like one of my workouts last week. Like clearly something's wrong. <laughs> That's not like a, oh I had a bad day. That's like a um you should go to the doctor. So um very concerning and then so that was last week um i turned a corner on monday of this week thank goodness because i was doing shoe testing at nike and i was like i don't even know if i'm gonna make it through that that testing like i <laughs> like how that work i went and but, it's, it's um, one thing to I, not it's another thing not to perform like under the eyes of your dad slash coach another thing to not yeah. perform like when your sponsor's like looking over your shoulder like hey what's going on no, exactly. They're like, okay, yeah, you have to like run a certain pace. I was like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, how am I gonna fake this? Um, but I actually felt like that Monday, this Monday, or sorry, it's, I don't know what day is this? Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. this Monday was the first day. So eleven weeks to Boston it was the first day I wasn't sick. I wasn't like physically ill, like throwing up in my mouth during my runs, like then burping. And oh my <laughs> um, so I had a couple, my first, my workout this week went well. Um, and I'm just, I, I'm a little more optimistic that like, now that I think I'm like fueled and strong, I can like keep building off of that. And I think, you know, I did go into the last two races a little bit overcooked. And so I'm like, okay, maybe like, at least I'm not going to be overtrained. Like I will not be overtrained. There is no way I will be overtrained. So I'm trying to kind of take that um, and just continue to, to build slowly and try to be patient and just do what I can do. This is like, this is a Goldilocks. Who does like the three oatmeals? Like this one's too hot. This one's too cold. This one's just right. Yeah. It's like this is like your marathon exactly. journey. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. So that's how my training is going now. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> so then I have to ask. I'm sure everyone like who's listening to this is like, please just ask. So why Boston then? Considering everything that's kind of happened post New York. Why would Boston be a good fit for you, your schedule, just the, the whole experience as opposed to maybe pushing it back, doing a different race or some sort of variant um, as opposed to kind of sticking with this one? I mean, you know, you pick your marathon well in advance. So I signed the contract a, a, a while ago. So I had I didn't see this coming, you know. Um, and I try to, you know, like, yeah, if so if like I am in, if I really couldn't train, you know, this this is like basically probably the soonest or the latest that I, I think I can do, I think I can do it. Um, like, I think I can pull off a good race if I continue in the right direction. But if you know, yeah, if I still was not running this week and I'd be like, oh gosh, like there's no way, then I would talk, I would talk to Boston. I'd be like, look, like I'm, I'm I just, I, I got sick. I, there's no way. Um, and, and they do a really good job of understanding 
but I just made the decision a long time ago. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a great point because most people probably don't know the how a professional runner approaches these marathons versus like someone like us, right? Who's like, hey, I registered for a race, things aren't going well, you know, like, oh, couldn't get a flight, guess I'll move to a different race, right? Kind of, kind of feel. Yeah. To it. Yes, exactly. You don't, you know, like it's very the elite coordinators do. A, they put a lot of thought into it. They, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to like piss them off. <laughs> and you don't want them not to invite you back. You know, they're, they're understanding this is running. They're used to it. You know, things happen. But if it doesn't have to happen, then just like, all right, you know, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> gotcha. So this is interesting. So you were basically like right at the end of your window in terms of like, if I don't feel better this week, then I might have to start. I might have to audible here. Yeah. Well, congrats then. I'm so glad that Monday went well. <laughs> well, yeah, don't congratulate Well, I'm just saying, like, at least in the yeah. short term, I'm glad Monday was good, right? <laughs> oh, I'm like, I am so relieved that Monday went well. <laughs> that is great. So um, how far, I mean, I'm trying to think of how to, how to frame this. With your, with everything that's going on with you right now, and then just like, how like marathon builds, how you would like like to, them to progress and how your dad would like them to progress as your coach. Um, I was having certain templates, certain kind of benchmarks you want to hit certain ways. How much adjustments are currently happening to your training versus like how they would normally work, normally look during weeks 11, 10, 9? Or is this like a day-to-day -day kind of adjustment thing? Or is it kind of here's a schedule and if it doesn't quite work, we'll just, we'll just like kind of scale it back like the morning of? Yeah. Um, it's been very, very flexible, like day of, like, yeah, we had a plan. Um, but as of the last, you know, month, it's been like, do what you can <laughs> and let, you know, call my dad in the morning. Like, um, I, you know, I'm on the couch this morning, so there's no running or, um, yeah, I feel okay. I'm going to like, I'm going to go through with the workout or I'm going to do a fart lick. I'm going to like just get some turnover going, try to try to get ready for the next workout. So it has been really play it by ear up until now. Now we'll get into more specific training stuff in the next call. Um, but you live in Boulder, which is, you know, one of the, the meccas of, of endurance sports, especially with running here in America. So do you often train with other people? And if so, how does that, how has that worked over the past couple of weeks in terms of just coordinating some of that stuff? Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I did my last couple builds with Molly Grable. Um, she's been a really great training partner. Um, we both ran New York and then I forget before that she didn't run a marathon. I don't think before that, but we could link up a little bit. Um, but no, I do a lot on my own. Um, and so I know I haven't done anything with anyone in a long, long time since before New York, I haven't run with anyone. Um, and it works because when I do have workouts, um, my dad's there. And so I, you know, that's the support that I kind of need. It's, it's feedback. It's someone on the track with me or in the car hitting me bottles or, um, and it's, it's worked for us in the past because I've, I've historically just like done all my workouts alone and, you know, and then I kind of formed a group, but, um, 
as what I've learned is, um, you know, as I've become a professional athlete and have a flexible schedule, it's really hard to work out with non-professional athletes because I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to wake up at 5 a.m. and run in the <laughs> freezing cold. Like, I don't have to, you know, so it's just you can't coordinate that. And I don't have any other professional athletes to train with and um, which is OK. And a lot of that, I mean, some of that is because, like, you know, my dad's my coach. That's not going to change. I'm not going to sign with a group you know, unless that something, unless something happens or like I talked to my dad and we think that's the best thing for me, but you know, I'm not going to go run with Hoka. I'm not going to go, you know, it's like, that's not an option for me. Right. Absolutely. That actually, ironically enough, has the exact opposite end of the spectrum with, with professional running podcasters who, who like to run after oh. they drop the kids off at school. And they're like, everyone's like, I'm at work, dude. I can't run with you. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'm running by myself yeah. today. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. so now, thank you for joining us. This is the first episode of season one. I really am sorry, season one. The first episode of season three, I should say. There we go. Um, so we'll be doing this. Again, people who are listening for the first time, I said this in the intro, but we'll be coming out with one or two episodes a week. Most people will come on every four to six weeks or so as we progress through the year. I can't wait to talk to you again in a month and a half or so, hear how things are going um, with, with your yeah. health, with your running, and then Boston. <laughs> and obviously, uh, I think half the roster is running Boston. So that'll be really interesting to see how everybody does. Nell, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me.